Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to episode 31 of Sheer Crime. I'm Amy. And I'm Kenzie. And today we're covering the first episode in the A&E series, Cults and Extreme Beliefs. This one is on Nexium. Elizabeth Vargas interviews survivors as well as experts on the subjects of cults and cult mentality in this series. Nexium started off as a sort of multi-level marketing self-improvement group aimed at helping you achieve your highest, most productive self. What many would learn after sinking thousands of dollars into the many courses offered was that it was a web of slaves, masters, and a secret sex ring, all fueled by blackmail and torture. While not religious in nature, leader Keith Raniere was a sick man with a perverted plan to exploit the women in his circle, using the help of popular young celebrities to lure them in. Today's story is given to us from former member Sarah Edmondson, and what she has to say may just sear itself into your mind. Here we are. It's Friday. It is Friday. (laughs) I like recording on Fridays. I know. I know. It's nice to be at the end of the work week. Yes. We get to sleep in tomorrow. It's fabulous. Yes. While we still can sleep in, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. So today's is going to be a little different. It is. Yeah. We are diving into a cult, which... (sighs) Oh, I'm super excited about this. I'm super excited about it, too. Why has it taken us this long to do a cult? (laughs) I don't know. Because uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm putting you on the spot. There's your answer. I don't know. (laughs) But they're so freaking interesting. Yeah. I mind blown. Very scary. Very scary. Very scary shit. Yeah. That these people get into this and they pay lots of money to be there. And it's nuts, you guys. Yes. Completely. Before we get started, let's talk about what you have to drink today, because this looks interesting, because you keep coming over now with these black Truly cans. Yes. So these are the original Trulys. Oh, so you've been having like the fancy Trulys. And the Vizzies, I think, are the ones that you're thinking of that have the white can. It has been so long since I've had an alcoholic drink. I am right. I am not right. Actually, this (laughs) is the... Mixtures with lemonade. So the ones oh. with lemonade are in the black can. Oh, they're not. Duh. Yeah. We know they're not all lemonades. Right. But these are like the mixed lemon. Yeah. We just said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this one is actually just lemonade. It's just plain, okay. truly lemonade. Nothing else added. And we're kind of matching today, as I can tell what you're drinking over we there. Because I'm drinking a LaCroix limoncello. <laughs> it's not a lemonade at all. It's just a sparkly lemon water. It looks like we could be matching. It looks so, bright and shiny and It's kind of nice. We And we need a little sunshine here because it is gloomy as fuck today and it's pissing me off. Yeah, it's gloomy but not rainy. No. Which is annoying to me. You know what's even more annoying to me is when it's gloomy and it like just does that icky drizzle thing yep. all day, but it never actually like downpours. If right. it's going to be a gloomy day, I want like thunderstorms. Oh, Yeah. I want some action. Let's make a day out of this whole thing. Yeah. And let's water the lawn for free. I'm all about that. (laughs) And when you're done, maybe you have a pool at the end of your driveway or in your yard right there. There Summer fun. There we go. 
Well, should we pop our tops? Let's pop these tops. Let's do you know, it. I've been hearing that on our podcast and it almost to me for some reason sounds like we're flashing each other. So just what for all twist. of you, just for all of you listeners, <laughs> that is extremely not what's happening here. Oh, wouldn't that be funny? Every time I, <laughs> I'm always like, somebody's going to hear that. Somebody else has to hear that. Right. Is that just me? <laughs> Let us know if anyone else thought that. Okay, let's pop our top. Let's do it. That was very in sync. Of course it was. We're awesome at this. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yummy, yummy. Yes. As always. Okay. So now that we have all of that out of the way, why don't you bring us into this documentary and start us off? That sounds great. So we start this documentary off meeting Sarah Edmondson. She is a former Nexium member. And she is the main person in this documentary. Yeah. So it's really about her whole experience being a part of Nexium. Yeah. She had been in Nexium for 12 years and decided to leave in 2017. These were basically the only people she conversed with or hung out with. I mean, she spent her whole life with these people. And she even met her husband, Anthony Ames, there, who started a few years before she did. Yeah. Sarah was born and raised in Vancouver and spent most of her life there. That sounded so Canadian. Did it? Vancouver. (laughs) (laughs) I liked it. Okay, we're keeping it. (laughs) We're keeping it. Her parents had been former hippies, which I'm in love with. Yeah. Uh, Were there hippies in Canada? And how can one be a hippie? Isn't it cold up there? How did they wear those... (laughs) How how can that be like, is that a job? Are you a hippie as a job or is it a hobby? That's a hobby. (laughs) That's just a person. Well, after her parents decided to get out of the hippie world, AKA quit drugs. That's right. Her mom became a therapist and her dad became a counselor. Can you imagine the family dinner discussions? Uh, No. And again, I had no clue that there was a fucking difference between these two. <laughs> like, am I the yeah. most sheltered person out there? I'm starting Why? to think so. <laughs> what is wrong with me? You've never had therapy before. <laughs> That's what it is. You've never had issues where okay. you've had to talk about them. <laughs> well, I actually did Google this, you guys, because I needed to. So for anyone else that is like me out there, I found out that counseling usually focuses on a specific issue for a limited period of time. Yep. While therapy can be more long term and focus on you as a person rather than just one specific issue. Yeah. It's like whether you have one problem or you're just a mess of a person in general. (laughs) Your whole life is a mess. I'm just thinking, like, (laughs) how would that be growing up having your mother and your father both analyzing the shit out of everything? Oh, that would be tough, I think. Right. Because they how do they get out of that mentality? I don't know if they really can. That's a part of who they are. Well, and I'm thinking, like, when I ask my daughter. I mean, she's 12, you know, basically like 21, yep. she thinks. She'll sit down at the table and I'm like, how was your day? And she's like, fine. I'm like, oh, well, did anything happen? Mom, it was fine. That's it. That's it. That's Nothing it. More. Nothing more. This poor kid <laughs> probably had to go through like 20 questions. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and had to answer them. All of them. And they were analyzed. <laughs> Absolutely. How does that make you feel? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> 
Sarah goes on to tell us that self-help, therapy, introspection, and self-awareness were a huge part of her life. And she was always kind of searching for more out of her life and searching for the meaning of her life. <laughs> I can relate. I think I a don't lot search. Of do I just wonder. Well, and I think a lot of us as human beings kind of do that from time to time. You kind yeah. of reflect on like, okay, what am I here to do? Yeah. What is my purpose? This can't be what I'm here is for. There, is there more to what I'm doing here? Is this for real? <laughs> is this it? This is it. <laughs> what else? We get some on-screen text that says after college at the age of 21, Sarah decided to pursue her dream of becoming an actress. Sarah tells us that it didn't really pan out the way she thought it would and didn't feel like she was getting anywhere or making an impact that she wanted to be making. Sure. That's when she met Mark Vicente and they had an immediate connection. We get to meet Mark Vicente, who was also a former Nexium member, and he tells us that he and Sarah had met on a cruise ship around 2004 and he had to be a judge for a film festival at sea. Hmm. What? Interesting. I've never heard of that before. Sarah tells us that they chatted all night long. By the end of the week, Mark had informed them of the smartest man in the world. Not Bill Gates, you guys. <laughs> we're, we're not talking about him, although you might sound like him sometimes. Yeah. If someone told me that they knew the smartest man in the world, I'd be like, OK, give me the proof. Yeah. I want to see Guinness Book of World Record name. I this has got to be legit, okay? Yeah. Well, Mark told them that he lived in upstate New York and he had brought this group of people together who were really making a difference and changing things in this world. It sounds like it's very vague what he's yeah. talking about because I think people can say those words and Thanks. not really know where they're going, you know, kind of talking in circles. So we'll learn more about that. Sounds like every job interview I've ever been on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sarah says that she couldn't remember the specifics of this conversation, which is already telling me something, but she just knew that she had to be a part of it. And I was kind of thinking that she had a little bit of FOMO, the fear of missing out on something. Absolutely. That she didn't really know about, but was very curious and intrigued by. So she's like, well, I got to do it. Yep. Th there's no way around it. Mark thought she would love the five-day course, and coincidentally, there was a five-day course a few weeks after this cruise in Vancouver where she lived. Yeah. Perfect timing for her? I, maybe. I mean... That's th interesting. She was probably thinking, like, oh, my God, the stars align. This is the sign. Because that's what I would think. Sure. And she had to pay over $2,000 for this five-day course. Holy shit, that's a lot of money. You know what? That would have been the sign that just passed right on by me. <laughs> nope, thought it was for me. Sorry. <laughs> I was looking way too hard into that one. <laughs> well, Nexium claimed that it was a self-help group and had an educational system to help evolve their members' limiting beliefs to help them understand themselves better and to take everything to the next level. The goal was to relieve the members of the issues they've had throughout their life to be a better version of themselves. You lost me. I know. A lot of this, I just feel like, is the same type of, like, verbiage, but using the synonym of the word in a different phrase. Well, like, it, it all sounds like it's saying the same exact thing, but not really going anywhere. Well, and let's be honest. I mean, we don't have any issues. Right. <laughs> We're pretty much perfect. So I just, I can't relate. <laughs> I can't relate. Oh, you really made me laugh there. <laughs> the workshop tells you that if you do it correctly, an issue you have had your whole life will suddenly disappear. 
that you've been doing it perfectly and now it's gone. Huh. I literally can't even think of an issue. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know what that would be. (laughs) What could I I have been doing this whole time? (laughs) The first class was rules and rituals. Yeah, see that right there, I would have turned around. Rules and rituals. Oh my God, rules, really. Rules is what got me. I'm like, Rituals, okay. Like, I can wash my hands 18 times a day. Right. But, like, rules? Yeah. No. A couple examples of these rules and rituals are taking their shoes off at the door oh, when they shit. get there. shit. We're in a cult. Okay. You took I yours off when you not- walked into my house. I didn't even ask. <laughs> I do not want to sit around with a bunch of people I barely know with their damn shoes off. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. Why? Ew. Stinky feet, you guys. Girls. For real. No, thank you. Another one was calling the founder of Nexium, Keith Ranieri, Vanguard. And Vanguard basically translates to a leader of a philosophical movement. Hmm. No. Hmm. I'll call you Keith. Right. In Nexium, they had a ranking system similar to martial arts that included the usage of sashes. Do you think they had to break boards to move up to the next sash? <laughs> Probably something <laughs> similar to that. All of the members were forewarned that they were going to experience things during their time in Nexium that would make them really uncomfortable and possibly want to leave, but that it was totally normal. Like, that is a fucking red flag if someone has to tell you that for a course that you paid over $2,000 for. Right. Brainwashy. It's brainwashy, you guys, because it's uncomfortable because they're making you do shit that you know is not right. Right. You shouldn't be doing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's it means it's not okay. Run. Because that is called your gut instinct, your intuition. (laughs) They're trying to throw your gut instinct in the trash right now and tell you that it's not correct. Right. Which I feel like as a human race, we do with that enough on our own. Absolutely. We don't need someone else telling us to do it. No, not at all. So we meet Elizabeth Vargas, and she kind of comes in and out of the series, but she is kind of the main person who is conducting the interviews. And she asks Sarah, how long did it take you to suspend your skepticism of this group? And Sarah said, you know, it was a five-day course. And by day three, she had been very closed off and was very, very skeptical. But then by the end of day three, she had basically been doing therapy for 14 hours a day for three days straight. And felt very different. And she was like, okay, this is great. I'm in. No, that's called like sleep deprivation. And I literally said she meant to say that she was brainwashed for three days. Right. Not in therapy. She was brainwashed. 14 hours? Are Are you you kidding me? Okay. That is scary shit. No, that's a lot. That is a lot, a lot. Most people go to therapy for an hour or two a day. Right. Maybe. I don't know. Right. I'm sure they don't go longer than two hours if they do. 14 hours a day for three days straight. And this is supposed to be like a learning course. Like if I was going to some type of a course, generally they run between six and eight hours long at the most. Right. This is weird. Yeah. This is like two days together. I don't like it. Nope. Sarah goes on to say that by the evening of the third day, she had felt great. And with each training, she felt like she was getting better and better more options in her life. You know, she was starting to break through some limitations that she had on her own career. I mean, she was feeling free. That, of course, would start to manifest 
physically and other people would be able to see that. You know, you've got, you know, a a twinkle in your eye. You're smiling more. I've been told I've never had this. So (laughs) I don't know. But (laughs) these things people notice. So her friends started to ask what she was doing and they wanted in. Well, she felt like she'd been given this book of secrets, essentially. In 2009, she and Mark Vicente decided to open up a business together and just basically open up a physical center in Vancouver for Nexium. She says that they had some great energy and they were incredibly successful, like right off the bat. At the highest point, they had over 240 full-time students going to this center. Wow. That's a lot. Well, and it's like they didn't go into detail a little bit about whether they were doing these five-day courses Was this like a long term? Did they do it for three months, like a summer thing? Like they didn't really talk about. So imagine if she had to pay two thousand dollars for five days. Imagine if these people were going for months and how much money they raked in millions. I'm sure so much money with two hundred and forty full time students. That's a lot of money. That's a lot. So she says that people would come in, they would see her presentation and, you know, they would say, I don't even know what this is. But I love it. Don't even know what this is. (laughs) What? And people would want to be part of it. So it was incredibly successful. Again, I'm lost. I don't get it. Why do you want to be a part of something you don't understand? That seems so odd to me. Is it it because everyone's happy and everyone's joyful? Like that you just feel like you need to be a part of it because they're happy, but you don't understand what they're actually doing? Go to a rave. It seems the same thing. Oh, that literally sketches me out. It reminds me of these other cults we've heard about. Right. Ugh. She says that she had brought so many people into Nexium that at the time, she thought she was inviting them into something that was going to be really helpful for their lives. I mean, as we mentioned, she was really into that self-help, introspective, you know, world. And she truly believed it worked. Absolutely. So, So that was like the difference for her. Like, she didn't have any skepticism anymore. She fully and truly believed that what was happening in Nexium worked and was changing people's lives. Exactly, because it had transformed hers. Right. We get some on-screen text that says during her 12 years in Nexium, Sarah was responsible for the recruitment of over 2,000 members who each paid between 300 and 10,000 for Nexium workshops and seminars. So a fuck ton of money, you guys. Sarah says that Keith Ranieri, the founder had done a big enrollment push and began just emphasizing recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. Money hungry. Exactly. And she was a natural promoter and had a huge network already. So it was sort of easy for her. She started signing people up, sharing their success, and she just felt like she was on fire. Some more on-screen text tells us that within two years, Sarah became one of Nexium's top recruiters, bringing in millions of dollars for the group. Why does this immediately bring me to like, I want to say beach body so bad, but I don't know if I should be bringing that up. Oh, but it reminds me of that. So were you a part of beach body twice? Okay. So, well, once I was for about six months. Okay. So honestly, I know nothing about beach body. Not a thing. I actually kind of thought it was just like a weight loss video thing where you watch, where you like buy the videos and then do workouts yeah. kind of thing. But I, I, Really don't know more than that. Oh, no. I mean, that's what they want you to think. It's really more about recruiting people to also be coaches under you. Okay. So it's like that pyramid type of mentality of 100% getting more people underneath you, more people underneath them. Yep. Blah, blah, blah. I got it. And our like top 
like top, top coach or whatever her name, her title was, lives here in Cottage Grove. Really? Yeah. And I mean, like her and her husband, like built this amazing house. I mean, you're just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of It Works. Same. That thing was so big at one point. I mean, what, maybe six or seven years ago? Yeah, I got lured in. I wasn't selling it, but I I was buying stuff from people. And there was people that were making a lot of money because they had so many people below them and they would get, I don't know, commissions or cuts of whatever those people were making. So they would, you know, the ones who's at the top, they're making the most money because they're getting commissions from every single person that's below them. Exactly. So like when you think about it, like, yeah, if you're at the top, it sounds great. But if your product's not really doing anything and it's kind of a scam product anyway. Yeah. Then you're being a little scummy, you know, that and then there's a bad reason for it. So that's a little bit, especially like she's bringing in millions of dollars. Is she making any money? Was she making money from this? Or I can only assume that she was. I was going to say it had to be her job. Business. Right. It, like it had to be. She had to be making something. Yeah. But they again, did she never specified how much money she made while doing no. this? It just always said that she was bringing in so much money for Nexium. Yeah, there's there's a lot out there that we could, we could dive into, I'm sure. There's so much. In <laughs> fact, I don't know if you've heard about it. There's a podcast out there called The Dream, and it goes into MLMs. And it focuses heavily on Mary Kay really? because of how old that group yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but it also goes into other ones. Like, it talks about Young Living Oils. Which was one that I was like, what about like Pampered Chef? Pampered Chef. I was going to say, isn't that kind of one too? I mean, I've heard that like Cutco is one too, the knife company. Oh, yeah. I fucking love their knives. I've never used them. Oh, they're super expensive, but they work forever. Like they're sharp always. And you can send them in, get free sharpening on your knives whenever for the lifetime of your tool. Yeah. But recently, someone just told me that they're like a huge MLM. And I'm like, what really i I actually love their product and it worked and it it actually is good product so i think that's that's the fine line is because there are some mlms that are doing really good things and actually have legit products oh yeah but then there's some that are huge fucking scams well like this one i mean how can you sell success to people do you know what i mean right because this is not a tangible thing. This is not a physical thing that they're buying. They're literally buying into a motivational speaker, essentially. Right. Because that's all this is. I mean, they're giving you, quote, tools to better yourself. Yeah. And what? They're they're coming up with a pamphlet of ideas that you can do. Okay. well, if you internally don't do that stuff, you're you're never going to get better. Exactly. (laughs) Like, Like they can tell you what to do, but you still have to do all your own self-work. So this is why I would never be good at this because I'm really good at telling people what to do, but doing it myself. No, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. No, I almost paid somebody to write the notes for this podcast episode. Okay. That's how much I didn't want to do the work. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, it's really interesting. And this one specifically, obviously, this one gets real fucking demented. Yeah. Way worse than some of these other ones, obviously. Some of the other ones are more so like, I mean, you've watched Schitt's Creek. Yeah. So, you know, the allez-vous makeup Mm -hmm. line. Like, that's another one where they're trying to, like, get people to sign up under them as allez-vous representatives. 
But then they find out like this craze hit the town years ago. Right. We all became representatives and sellers and the market was saturated. Right. right. You can't make any money doing it. Right. It, that's ex- essentially what ends up happening when you have something like that. Correct. Mark Vicente comes back and he says that one of his primary roles within Nexium was he would take a lot of photos of Keith Ranieri, always trying to make him look better and what he says more normal. He says that Keith had a lot of mannerisms he'd use when speaking to people to like convey, you know, that I'm harmless, I'm trusting. And then Sarah interjects and says, not a sociopath, because clearly he was one. Yep. Some more on-screen text pops up and says that in 2017, Nexium founder Keith Ranieri released a series of one-on-one conversations with YouTube, inviting the public into the secret world of Nexium. We get to see a little bit of these YouTube videos of Keith speaking. Yeah. And in one video, he states, and I quote, when you run a personal development program, our main emphasis, our main belief is to have people experience more joy in their lives. And from that, all sorts of interesting effects appear to happen. End quote. I underlined appear. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because I'm like, you just outed yourself right there. Hmm. Again, he's not selling anything tangible. No. It's an idea. Well, and I kind of get it because in a way, he's basically selling the law of attraction. For sure. Right? Put good things out there. Get good things back. I mean, that's kind of what he's trying to say here. I get it, but it's just. But you can't sell something that's already been out there. I, okay, for me, I like tangible items, right? I I want something that's tangible that I know I can physically see, physically hold. I've always been that kind of person. So something like this, I mean, okay, if you want to self-help something or other, maybe it's a one-time class you go to. Or Or a book you buy at Barnes & Noble. Yep. So it could be something like that. Or you watch a video on YouTube or something like that. You do not need to spend $2,000 for a five-day course of them brainwashing you and wanting them you wanting you to think a certain way Absolutely about not. your life and how things can automatically change. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, they, they want you to think a certain way that they're thinking to keep you sucked in. Right. Sarah tells us that Keith was the founder and leader of Nexium, creating it in 1998. Everyone had been told that Keith was a genius with an IQ of 240. So I looked it up because I, I'm not super knowledgeable on IQs and what that means. And I know like 60 is pretty low and 70. Some people, you know, we've heard documentaries. They talk about they had a low IQ right, in the yes. 60s or 70s or 80s. Yep. So an IQ of 100 is considered to be average, which most people actually are. Yeah. And once you hit 140 or more, you're considered to have a genius IQ. Yep. Marilyn Voss Savant has the highest ever recorded IQ of 228. That's pretty high. I think my dad's is around 160 or 170. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That is so awesome. I don't know where it went. It did not get passed on. (laughs) I think it did. I think you're great at writing. I think you have. He's an electrical engineer. (laughs) Okay. It's okay. It's okay. You just. I talk about death. And he decided to follow your passion for hair when, when, when he died. I didn't even finish college. Although he didn't either. He was self-taught. Oh, that's awesome. Which is even more impressive. Fucking A. Well, and the thing is, okay, so Keith has a genius level IQ of 240. Show right. me. Prove to me. Right. Is it just you saying it? Because we never hear any proof given 
He's just telling people he has an IQ of 240 when the highest recorded ever IQ was 228. And this woman, no one could even get close to that IQ of what she was at. So she yeah. basically makes Stephen Hawking look like, what, a numbskull? Pretty much. Pretty huh. much. And apparently, Keith was speaking full sentences at age one. Bullshit. At age one. Give me a break. Give me a break. If my kids started talking in full sentences at age one, <laughs> I would drop them <laughs> off at the nearest safe spot. Hell no. No. You do not get to talk until like two or three like every other normal child. <laughs> it was also mentioned that he was a concert pianist, the East Coast judo champion at age 11, also earning degrees in mathematics, biology, and physics. But yet starts a self-help yeah. group? Yeah. Yeah. So Nexium brought in millions of dollars from all the personal development programs they were running. Richard Branson had even taken one of their courses. The Dalai Lama had endorsed them. And Allison Mack was also a high up member in Nexium who had been an actress on the show Smallville. Yeah. Had no idea who she was. I only knew who she was. Her face was familiar. And I think it was from when all of this cracked. Yep. Back in 2018. But I mean, I've never watched the show. Nope. I don't even know what it is. Nope. I remember it being a big show. I think it was Me on too. Like I just never watched CW it. or something. But yeah, I think it was like it was supposed to be like that that teenager show. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. popular for that age. And by that point, I was already like, yeah, no, you know, an adult. We meet Yanya Lalich. She is a Ph.D. sociologist and cult expert. I love her. Can I have the title of a cult expert? Right? I love it. <laughs> I want to be a cult expert. I know. She's really awesome, though. She tells us that Nexium had the image of having these good-looking, very happy, and successful people, many of them being women. Again, I would not fit in. No. They said happy. No, in all these pictures, they kept showing us these pictures on the screen of all of their group outings and being together. Oh my together. God, I don't even know that many people. And their smiles, they literally looked like like a commercial or Absolutely. like in a magazine. It always looked like an ad. It looked fake. Yeah. None of it looked real. It was no. just, I've never smiled like that in my entire life. Oh my God, no. <laughs> no. Like this, like- My wedding have, photos look somber compared yeah. to those. Well, I mean, they're like, you know, they have those bright smiles, their mouths are open, they're laughing during the photos. Like it's just- it's bizarre. It, it's it kind bizarre. of it's kind of weird to me. I don't get it's, it. I don't get it. I can't relate. Yanya says that this was an extremely important tool to have because it helped recruit more people well, to this cult. Yeah. If I wanted to look like that, that would be attractive to me. And another thing that it's informed us of was that it was only skinny, small women. I was going to say, all the photos looked more like fitspo like it looked like a yeah. lot of people who had just got done doing some type of like tough mutter or something do you yep. know what i mean yep i i would have to agree with that sarah says she first met keith when she was 28 years old and was so excited to be able to finally meet him sure she thought of him as this selfless humanitarian who was just helping to make the world a better place and He's the founder of this group that she loves so much. So could you imagine like you're a part of something? I mean, even meeting like the CEO of your company or something is just like a proud moment. You know, it's I don't know. Again, can't, can't relate. relate. 
I'm just like, or just like, I think it's more of like a anxiety type of like Ooh, moment because you're meeting someone that celebrity, but not. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, they have that higher status and, yeah. and you want to, you want to meet them, see what they're about and so on and so forth. So I, I can kind of see than that. You. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that I can relate to. I got that. Okay. I got it. Now, Mark Vicente comes back and tells us that he values intelligence. So when he was told that Keith was the smartest man in the world, he was hooked. Oh, sure. Again, show me some fucking proof before I'm hooked. Yeah. Why are people just taking word of mouth here? Like, I want to see some fucking proof that this guy is actually the smartest man in the world. And then I might start believing some of his philosophy and some of what he's trying to tell me. Proof is never something that's needed anymore. Uh, you're just not. supposed no. to take everything that you're told right. and run with it. Everything on the internet is real. Believe it everything is. you hear. Yeah. It's all been heavily researched <laughs> there we go. for you so you don't have to. <laughs> there we go. Mark really looked up to Keith and almost elevated him as a higher and better being. Mark was the one who actually created all of those videos that you can not now find online, those YouTube videos. And as he looks back at them, he realizes that Keith isn't actually saying anything. Again, we just kind of said this. He's just going around in circles, using big words to make it sound philosophical. That is exactly what he does. He says the same goddamn sentence, but in a different set of words. Like, that's literally what it sounds like over and over again. I had to write it down because I was so, like, mind fucked <laughs> when he says, now this is Keith Raniere in one of those videos. He says, we have sterling credentials that we have no credentials in the field. See, credentials seem to be self-limiting in the field. <sighs> what? Is that even a real sense? What is that? What? <laughs> I literally wrote, huh? I kind of want to go back and just start watching some of those YouTube videos just to see how dumb he sounds. Because, again, he was just using big words and making them sound so philosophical and out of this world. Like he was this better being or some shit. When yes. none of it actually made sense. No, it truly, uh, it's me in an interview room <laughs> for a job. <laughs> there we go the same word over and over again Fuck yeah and i talk in circles and you just gotta <laughs> convey confidence and you know what there we go you're gonna get that job there we go be the salesman win that job at one point mark is sent a video from one of his contacts down in mexico a civil rights kind of leader down there yeah of a mexican cartel decapitating four women he said it was one of the worst things he had ever seen oh could you imagine I hope there was a disclaimer or a big warning before he just sent I'm this sure man a video. I'm sure he probably did. Ooh. And he probably knew sort of what type of stuff. I mean, it was his friend, right? right? So, like, he knew that he was down there doing that kind of stuff. But, I mean, not involved in the that, but involved in, like, shedding light on what was happening in these yep. situations. And maybe trying to fix it and right. make things better. Yeah. But Keith had asked Mark to give him the video so he, so he could take a look at it. After he sends the video to Keith, Keith comes back with all these ideas of how one of them wasn't able to decapitate them right and how each of them must have been feeling and yada yada. Just kind of giving his two cents about the feelings of some of these people that are perpetrating this crime. Yeah, all the perspectives of the people in the video. It, it always struck Mark as amazing that Keith never had the same reaction as most people would. He was such an evolved being that he was able to look at these things differently or in a different way. But again, 
No, that just uh, sounds like a psycho. Right. Like you're able to tolerate that kind of brutal attack on someone. I, I don't know. I, I could never watch a video like that. I would never sleep again. I could not watch that kind of stuff either. My husband somehow likes finding those types of videos. Not like that, but like he he watches tons of videos where he like watches people die or goes through the like horrible accidents and all these things. I'm like, where do you even come across this stuff? I don't even want to know. No. I will never dig through that man's phone because God knows where he's getting his information. You don't want to see his Google search no. history. No, good <laughs> Lord, no. That is that is all you, baby. Off limits. That is all you. <laughs> Just like he wouldn't want to see my Google search history. Right, exactly. Yeah. So Elizabeth Vargas asks Sarah, what is it about his charisma, Keats? You know, I've watched the videos and him speaking and I just don't get it. To which I'm like, me too, sister. Yep. I don't get it either. Sarah says, well, remember that you're watching it from the perspective of knowing who he is, a narcissistic sex right. ring leader. When I met him, I didn't have any of that in my head. And he had this elevated status to me. Right. So every day we had thanked him. The curriculum was so amazing. And all of this was being done because of Keith. So by the time you meet him, he's good at really getting rapport with people because he's been doing it for a long time. And, you know, he's connecting eye to eye. And Elizabeth says, you know, when you're face to face with him, you know, does he get real close to you? Like, what does he do? You know, is he stare into your eyes when you're talking to him? Does he touch your arm? Like, what is that? How does he connect with you? Because a lot of people have different ways of doing it. Sarah looks at Elizabeth and says, you're not going to like this answer. He kisses everyone on the lips. And Elizabeth pulls back. She's like, ew, really? (laughs) Gross. Super gross. And then I'm like, does he do it to men too? Because I'm just curious. Probably not. But why not? I think it's because. Do you think it would turn the guys off? Like they would be like. Yeah. Ooh, you know, taken back. And remember, most of this cult was women. That's true. So I think like the people that are, were already men were, were already a part of his cult. <laughs> my air quotes. Allegedly men. <laughs> if you guys could see my air quotes, I'm constantly doing air quotes here because <laughs> I don't believe any of this shit. But I think most of like the men that were already there yeah. were were there beforehand. So he was meeting these new people and they were all women. Yeah. That's so again, I would be super freaked out if some guy I just met was coming at Hell me and kissing no. me on the lips like ick or kissing me at all i don't even necessarily want to shake her hand yeah no no sarah said that she had always kind of felt something was off but when you countered it by all of the good and positive things that were going on in nexium you kind of dismissed it right girl no i know no that is your sign run away run away (laughs) she just said she couldn't quite reconcile it and in a way i mean i kind of get it you know if you think about Well, let's say, let's take the Bible, for example. There are so many horrific things that are in the Bible, but there are so many good things Mm -hmm. that it's hard. You know what I mean? Right. But obviously this is nothing like the Bible, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just an example of something sort of similar. Well, and now, of course, hindsight is 2020. So we have to remember that too. Like, you know, she, back then, she didn't know that he was this crazy psycho sex you know, sociopath. Like, yeah. she didn't know that at that yeah. time. She just thought he liked to kiss people on the mouth. Right. Well, and she, again, they looked at him as, like, a better per- human being. Like, an ele- elevated, like, godlike figure. Like, they yeah. looked at him differently than they would anyone else. Yeah. I'm just saying, if 
he wasn't where he is now, I think this was patient zero for COVID. (laughs) He passed on to everybody. Absolutely. She also says that in retrospect, Keith really doesn't care anything about humanity or ethics. He just used all of these people as his own little pawns Mm -hmm. in his chess game, and especially women, like we mentioned earlier. Some on-screen text tells us that the following online video shows actress Allison Mack interviewing Keith Raniere as part of the Keith Raniere conversations, like the ones we were talking about on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And they show this video of the two of them interacting. And Keith says, quote, so you are the sum of your whole past. When someone is being authentic, you get the feeling that not only that there's a person there in the moment, but somehow you reach into their very essence And you meet a unique individual. And Allison is literally sitting there, gaga over Mesmerized. Mesmerized. And she responds with, I don't know why that makes me want to cry. And then she says, it's beautiful. And I'm like, he didn't fucking say anything. When you meet somebody, you're meeting a new person, is what he just said. (laughs) I I don't get it. I'm sorry. This is why I'm not in a cult. And again, she's completely brainwashed. So it doesn't even matter what he says. Anything he says is like she's speaking to God. Like, yes, telling her something in the flesh. She doesn't care what he's actually saying. She's just like, oh, my God, you're speaking to me. You're speaking to me. Amazing. Yes. And I wrote this is super weird because none of that sounded poetic or introspective. I know. At all. I I just I don't get it. Mark started to have this big problem with the movement and with Keith. When he started noticing that people that he was mentoring, like Allison Mack, for example, who was mentored by Keith Mm -hmm. himself, began super enrolling all of these girls, you know, pretty young girls. Again, not anybody outside of what he would expect to be beautiful. And it was what he wanted. Right. So he had a type. He had a type. He had a type. And that's the only type of women he wanted to be in Nexium. So anyone right. outside of that realm, don't even go after him. They don't matter. Right. Sarah talks about Janesse, another, you know, tentacle of Nexium. Mm-hmm. And she says that it's a workshop designed for women to help them figure out who they were at their core. And the Janesse track was $15,000 for three eight-day trainings. So there's eight days here, eight days here, eight days here. Each one costs five grand to be a part of. We get some on-screen text that says, in an online video, Jeunesse leader Allison Mack can be seen praising the virtues of the group. We do see a clip from one of those videos that that were online with Allison Mack stating, and I quote, working for Jeunesse is the most satisfying and purposeful thing I've ever done. Watching the women who are involved in Jeunesse completely transform and evolve in a way that is so pure is such a privilege. End quote. Yeah. And most of the time, she is looking completely off camera. Mm -hmm. She's not making contact, which I'm sorry, you're an actress. You should know how to do that. She's looking away and it almost seems like she's searching her brain for the right words. Because it's almost like she's been coached to say a certain thing. But she doesn't want it to look like it's, you know, reading verbatim she for something. She looks like she's terribly acting. But you know that Keith told her she needed to say something about this to obviously persuade more people to become a part of this group. Right. $15,000 a person. Yeah. That adds up pretty quickly. Yeah. 
See, that's my problem. This is why I am who I am, Kenzie. I'm too broke to be part of a cult. <laughs> Same. So Same. poor people are safe <laughs> from cults, it there sounds we like. We see an inset photo of Keith pop up, and it looks like he's in a hotel room wearing a robe and we can literally see his ass like he's laying down to the point where like his legs are up in like a V shape and you can see all of his legs like he's wearing nothing under this robe. OK, and is reading a book called How to Win at Gambling. Aren't you the smartest man in the world? Shouldn't you really Shouldn't understand you know? how to do that? I'm sure you can card count, right? And, and you have a degree in mathematics. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't you win at gambling yeah, that way? You're telling me you don't know how to cheat the house? Yeah. So I was like, isn't it ironic that a man who's supposed to be the smartest man in the world will be reading a book about how to win at gambling? Hmm. I'm surprised he wasn't uh, reading the book How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> that would have been great. Maybe he wrote that book. We could have. He did not. <laughs> he did not write that book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Sarah comes back and says that she thinks Keith was very methodical and brilliant in his sociopathic way. He was explaining that women are raised one way and men are raised another. And that because of this, it was disabling women from being who they really needed to be. Ugh. I know. So basically, he was telling her that men see women as weak and flaky. Okay, she used the word flaky. Women are designed to be monogamous and men are designed to be polyamorous. Oh, here we go. Here's his mentality going to what he really wanted out of this group, okay? Right. Keith would tell them that men need to spread their seed and populate the world. <coughs> Bill Ick. Gates, are you hearing this, Bill Gates? <laughs> Egg, like that phrase is so gross. Spread their seed. Egg. I know. Why does that just Icky. sound so gross? Oh, that's like right up there with moist. Oh my God, it is. It's horrible. I, <laughs> and you know, he said that verbatim. Oh, she, for sure. She didn't make that up. No. He actually told her that, guaranteed. Yeah. And that women need to obey their man and be his submissive, basically. They need to submit to their man at all times. Yanya Lalich comes back, our sociologist and cult expert, and says that the cult needs to break its members down or it will not be successful. They need to change you in some sort of way, emotionally and physiologically. Interesting. They have to take you apart and rebuild you in the image of who they want you to be. Holy fuck. It's exactly what is happening here. Yeah. Our 14-hour day therapy Give me a break. I can't. They are brainwashing these people. Yeah. That's why she didn't actually start to believe it until the end of the third day. Well, yeah. Because she had to go through all of this brainwashing first. And then she's like, oh, shit. You know, I've been thinking the wrong way my yeah. whole life. You have to unlearn what you knew already. That's right. It's starting fresh. Some more on-screen text comes on and says, in January of 2017, Sarah was recruited by one of Nexium's highest-ranking executives, Lauren Salzman, to join an offshoot of Nexium called DOS. DOS is an acronym for Dominus Obsequious Sororium, which roughly translates to Master Over the Slave Woman. What the fuck? Yeah. What? Okay. I have a question. At least one. <laughs> did anyone ask what this acronym meant or did they just go along with it? 
like everything else. Probably not told to look it up. I mean, would you have known what obsequious was before looking it up? No, but if they're creating a group, I probably I think of sorority. Sure. Sure. So and maybe dominant women in a sorority. Okay. Maybe. And you know what? That's a huge maybe. I think for this, though, wouldn't you look it up? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, just if you're going to do especially pay, paying money to be a part of a group and have to get like get initiated into the group, wouldn't you yeah. want to like check it out a little bit more? I mean, make sure it's what you want. Maybe give uh, it a little looks over. Maybe. Maybe. A little. Look-see. Oh, God, this is terrifying. Yeah. Lauren had told her she would have had to go through an initiation process to be accepted into this program. First things first. You have to make a vow of obedience. You lost me. You guys, a lifetime commitment she was going to have to make to Lauren. Yeah. To be loyal. About this group. Like, to be a part of this group, she had to make a lifetime commitment to this bitch. Are you kidding me? No. Who does that? I'm not even obedient to myself. Who the fuck does that? I, I, okay. Yep. It's blowing my mind. This this is blowing my mind. Okay. Lauren kept explaining to Sarah that she would just be kind of like her heightened coach. And then the next step after that was understanding that it would be a master slave type of relationship. But, you know, think more of like a guru disciple. Yeah. Not like a, a slave for labor purposes. Is what she's trying what to say. What the fuck is a guru disciple? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I don't like any of this shit. Like all of this sounds like such a turnoff. Goodbye, Lauren. Fuck you. Well, like, it sounds no. like they are trying to be higher people. Okay. Like Jesus and his yep. disciples. Right. Right. They're trying to use this verbiage that makes them sound like they are of a higher status of people yes. and that you want to be their slave. I, like it's a, it's a privilege. I am just happy down here with the dirt people. <laughs> <laughs> dirt people I'll for stay life. Here. I'll stay here. So Elizabeth asks Sarah, you know, at one point you said that you thought that you were just a bunch of quote badass bitches. And Sarah says, yeah, that's how it was pitched to me. Badass bitch boot camp. All right. I mean, sure. Sounds like fun. Sign me up. Okay. So I can understand if it was actually labeled as that. Cause that's what it sounds like. Right. But the master slave shit and a lifetime commitment. Nope. Fuck. That's where you no. lost me. Fuck. No, no, That's a lot of commitment. Well, think about this. Half of the population can't even commit a lifetime to marriage. Uh, To marriage to someone that you actually love and have sex with and, you know, you have this bond with, right? Right, a bond. Not even a a master-slave, nowhere near an obedient type of a relationship. Right. All they're asking for is a little loyalty. But a fucking lifetime, you guys? That's a lot. That's a fucking lot. Yeah. Uh, Wow. Sarah says that now that she's not drinking the Kool-Aid, she's incredibly embarrassed over this whole thing. Right? I can imagine. Yeah. Because it's so clear that she, being Lauren, had recruited her Mm -hmm. and used all of her values against her and basically lied to her, right? Of course. To get her in. It wasn't mentioned, but this Lauren was not only her best friend, she was also her maid of honor in her wedding. Lauren was the officiant of Sarah's wedding and godmother to her son. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's terrifying. Elizabeth asks about other things within DOS. She says that she has heard stories from other women and what they were asked to do for their you know, masters. Mm. For example, 
they were told that they had to respond within 60 seconds if their master texted them day or night. And she says to Sarah, like, what happens if it's like 4 a.m.? And Sarah says, you had to respond. If you missed that within that 60 second time frame, the first time Lauren explained that there would be big consequences for her from her master. Right. Again, it's like that pyramid. Right. Lauren explains that she would have been paddled and maybe even put into a cage by her own master if her slaves, quote unquote, didn't respond to her. Okay, how would her master know that her slaves didn't respond to a goddamn text? Is he a part of the texting stream or what Uh, the hell? My guess is yes. It doesn't even. My God, this is so fucking demented. I cannot. I know. So Sarah says that all of the little slaves under Lauren. So as this group, they decided to have the same consequences that Lauren would have only worse. So, for example, if Lauren was going to be subjected to three paddles, for her slaves not responding to her, then they, in turn, would give each other 10 paddles for not responding to Lauren's text. I hate all of this. I, I know. It. Sarah says, luckily, no one else in her DOS group lived in Vancouver, so she avoided ever being paddled. But others in their group who lived in like California or Mexico would paddle each other naked, videotape it, and send it back to Lauren who would then send it to her master, which we all know now was Keith Ranieri. so sick. And this motherfucker got off on it. I guarantee Well, of course he did. It's just Uh, so weird. It is so sick. How could you do that? How could you do that to another woman? Like, you're a fucking slave to this random woman in this group that you're a part of that's supposed to be a self-help group, and now you're paddling another woman with a fucking wood paddle on their ass naked? Are you kidding me? I know. Could you imagine... Like, okay, oh, I did this respond went down to a text, but you and I, Kenzie, since you live in my town, you're going to have to come over. Ugh. We're going to have to get naked and you're going to have to paddle me like, quick. This is fucking down oh, and bring your phone because we need to record it. Oh, my God. Oh, I mean, my God. I don't think our husbands would complain. <laughs> Probably not. But I'm just saying this is fucking weird. I can't. I literally it seems can't. so out there, right? It seems like they would have been like, hmm. Maybe something's amiss here. Maybe this isn't How did right. we get to where we're at? <laughs> when did this take a turn for the worst? Something happened I and I know. don't... Was I blindfolded? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't get it. Well, then Sarah was told that she would have to agree to an initiation process where she would receive a mark similar to a tattoo. Sarah did not want to commit to that. But... Lauren kept telling her, this is your commitment to your growth. So I know a lot of people who end up going through, let's say, traumatic experiences. They come out on the other side. You know, they go through therapy, they grow and they get like a tattoo as a remembrance of what they've gone through. Yep. A lot of people will do it for like overcoming drug addiction. Oh, for sure. Or, you know, being a survivor of like rape or or something like that. Right. right? Uh, Sexual abuse, something like that. So I get where that isn't the weirdest thing you've ever heard of. However, when Sarah asks Lauren to, you know, see what it looked like, Lauren's like, I can't tell you. And then Sarah says, well, do you have one? I mean, if you have one, can't you you show me? And Lauren's like, yeah, I do. It's right here. And she kind of points to her pelvis. And Sarah's like, well, why can't you show me what it looks like? And Lauren says, you can't see it until the night of your initiation. Nope. 
Super sketch. No super fucking sketch. thank I you. I would be like, what am I getting? Like some smiley face or something super random? Am I getting like a hot dog tattooed on me or something? Like, okay, this should be a fucking red flag. If they can't show you what you're about to get for your initiation and you just have to hope to God it's something that is great on your... Fuck that. I would be so afraid that it would be like... What if it was like a portrait of her? Right. What if I had to get a portrait of my master on my body? No. Hard pass. Sarah goes on to say how much she really did not want to get a tattoo. But again, this was Lauren. This was her best friend. She trusted her and everyone else because they seemed to know something that Sarah didn't. Mm -hmm. They seemed to have this heightened alertness of life that Sarah just wasn't at yet. And I think she still had this hope and feeling that she was going to continue this journey of self-improvement and she was going to finally break a barrier she hasn't been able to break before or something. You know, she had this like idea in her mind that she was going to become one of them. Like she was going to get to this point where she was going to be one of these better human beings or whatever her thought process was, you know? Yeah. Oh my God, girl, run the hell away. Well, get out. Well, a day or two later, Kenzie, she agrees to this tattoo. And then she's told that she also has to collateralize her life. So let me explain what collateralizing your life is. Basically, it had started years before in Nexium as a concept to help people keep their word, like an accountability kind of a thing. Right. So think about it this way. And this is an example that she gives in the film, but it just makes so much sense. So let's say I start telling Kenzie that I want to go to the gym every day this week. And if I don't go to the gym, I'm going to give you money as collateral for me not holding up to my commitment. Right. Simple enough, right? Well, this one is a little bit different. So Sarah says the first part was to ruin her reputation as an actress. She had to take a nude photo and send it to Lauren because, of course, Most actresses don't want their nude bodies leaked out there. Right. The next was a damaging letter of any of her early life indiscretions that she had ever had. Right. I was 12 and I stole a candy bar or whatever. I had, you know, unprotected sex. I did this. I did this. I, you know, whatever. She then had to record four videos where she shit talked the most important members of her family. So those three things was the collateral that she had to give to Lauren as part of the initiation process into DOS. Right. Now we're at initiation day on March 9th of 2017. So really not that long ago. No. I thought it was a little bit. I always think these are like so long ago. Like this had to have happened in the 70s when everything happened. Yeah. No. It seems bizarre. But Sarah was in Albany at Allison Mack's house with a group of women, including Lauren Salzman. And all of the women had to take off their clothes and enter this tiny guest room that had a massage table in it. I would have been like, okay, (laughs) who's giving me a massage? Where's the paddle? When the first woman laid down on the table, that's when Sarah realized that they were not getting a tattoo, but they were getting branded. Ew. Fucking branded. Like cattle. Oh, my God. So all of the other women were just sitting there watching this poor woman getting her flesh seared open while completely freaking out and basically screaming bloody murder. Could you imagine that? No. Oh, my God. This is fucking torture. 
The girls were the ones holding her down so the sear line wouldn't be jagged or crooked. Right, because she's twisting, oh my God. turning, crying. Oh, so all the other women who are not getting this done right. are holding her still. Oh, my God. Sarah looks to Lauren and tells her that she does not want to do this. Lauren tries to tell her that it's just like a tattoo and it's so beautiful. But, like, what a fucking warped way of thinking. Like... It's just like a tattoo. I'm fucking sorry. Someone's not searing into your skin with a scalding hot tool. Right. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. She didn't have the option to just leave because now Lauren had all this blackmail on her. Right. That, you know, she could use against her to ruin her life. Right. So they explained that the whole point of the branding is to build your character and your pain tolerance. This would give you sort of an out-of-body experience so you would no longer be limited in your life and be able to do anything. Again, it's a back to that like limited beliefs and expanding your horizons and thinking thinking bigger than you've ever thought before. I don't know. Childbirth wasn't enough for her? No, thanks. So Sarah ends up laying down on the table, totally still, reminding herself and telling herself that she can do this. She can get through this. Never, never in a fucking million years. If I saw so- someone happen or something happen like that to someone, never. No, never. I would Oh my God. I would not care about a damn thing that I, ha- that she had blackmail on me. Fuck that. Yeah. Fuck that. Could you imagine how infected those things got? Right. Oh my God. I- I'm sure they were not sterile. I'm sure that fucking tool was not sterile. Oh my God. Sarah reminds us, and this is kind of what I was thinking too. Many people think of branding as a tool that you use that has like some sort of a design etched in it where you would just lay it down on the skin, sear the skin, and then take it off. Yeah, like we see on cattle. Yes, like they do on cattle. But this type of branding is completely different. This was an actual tool that literally cut through your skin for 40 to 45 fucking minutes. Yeah, it was just like a cauterizing tool and not a medical one. Oh my God, the smell. Oh, yuck. Burning skin smell. Oh my God. I think I would have turned vegan right after that. I wouldn't have been able to eat meat again. (laughs) I literally said I would be throat punching everyone and getting the fuck out of Dodge. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Sarah tells us that it was the most excruciating pain she had ever felt in her entire life. She even had Lauren looking down at her, telling her that she was doing, quote, such a great job. Ick. Yeah. Ick. Again, it's the manipulation. It's the brainwashing. It's making her think that, you know, you're going through this awful time and this, you know, terrible pain, but it's for a good reason. Just remember that you're you're doing great. Like, oh. So Sarah went from wanting to get the hell out of there to thinking it was such an amazing thing to experience. Yeah, because you're living through it. You're facing a fear, right? Oh, my God. That's all I can say. The type of manipulation that they got to with these people is unbelievable. Right. Unbelievable. Elizabeth Vargas asks Sarah, Initially, you had said after you were branded, you actually felt proud that you had gone through this. And Sarah replies, yeah, I went through this thing. It was painful. It was awful. I wanted to leave. Then I stuck it through and I did feel proud of myself for not bailing. 
Yanya Lalich tells us that by the time you are that far into a cult, you make yourself believe that this is what needs to happen in order for you to achieve whatever goals are set in this cult, usually some sort of self-development or improvement. Yep. Crazy. And I think it's because so many human beings are looking for a better purpose, a bigger purpose in their life, right? I think it's hardwired. Yeah, because again, this life is kind of like, we don't really understand why we're here most of the time, right? We're, right. We just kind of, we get birthed into this world and we're here and we're living it. We become adults now and we have bills, right? Is, <laughs> is there more to life? That's it. <laughs> is there more to life than bills and being an adult and working? No, I don't know. The answer is no. So I think that's where a lot of this comes from because again, it's not a physical item and you have to physically work on it yourself. So these cult leaders don't even have to do anything. No. They just have to spew some bullshit and make you do all the work, right? Yeah. And brainwash you into thinking that you're actually becoming some magical unicorn. I don't get it. I don't get it. Me neither. Sarah said afterwards she walked around thinking how she had gone through this even though she didn't want to, which went back to that teaching that Keith had been kind of adamant about, about women, you know, being kind of flaky and indulgent mm-hmm. and and not doing things that they don't want to, which I'm sorry, that's, that's kind of called having like a backbone, but yeah, whatever. and that's a good thing to have. Yeah. She said that she had this overwhelming feeling of love for Lauren and the other women that she had just endured this trauma with, and it gave her a sense of pride. That was until she realized what the symbol actually was. There had been this whole description on what each of the lines meant. So it was a very like linear thing. I mean, it wasn't, it's not a picture. It's not anything that we would look at immediately and be like, oh yeah, like, that's an apple. You know, it's something very kind Just of lines, mostly abstract. Yep. Yeah. But when you really start looking at it, you realize what it is. It's Keith's initials. Sarah said once it struck her, she thought, I have fucking Keith's initials on my fucking crotch. The first person that she decided to tell was her business partner and longtime friend, Mark Vicente. Oh, okay. I would never get to this point where I would have someone's fucking initials branded on me. I would never get to that point. But are you telling me that we're not going to do that? (laughs) I already have equipment set up. There we go. But seriously, I would be fucking killing someone. Uh, right. I would fucking murder this motherfucker. Yeah. Are you kidding me? And this is why they didn't want to tell you what it was. They don't want you to know. They don't want you to analyze this image because they knew you'd figure it out. Right. And you wouldn't do it. Right. Oh, man. And what even pisses me off more for her, they didn't tell her what she was getting on the night of the initiation. She only knew until after she got it. Right. So she didn't get to view an image. No. Like, I think it was kind of perceived that she'd be able to see it before she actually got it. Right. I mean, that's what I would assume. I mean, in a way she did because she got to see it happen to somebody else, right? So she did see what it was. And they did explain at some point what each of these lines were supposed to mean, how they were, you know, how they each meant a different thing and blah, blah, blah. Right. Whatever. I know. Ick. So Mark tells us that when Sarah calls him and lets him know and says, you know, it's really bad and just told Mark everything that had happened. He was horrified and he thought, what the fuck are they doing? Yeah. 
Mark told her she needed to leave, but she was, of course, nervous too. I mean, they had all of this collateral on her. All this blackmail. Mark said he was so angry that they had burnt her with Keith's initials and that they had done that to somebody that he had brought in and had trusted him. Yeah. And then he starts questioning, how many other girls has this happened to? He told Sarah right then and there he was resigning. She started to get very emotional and kind of upset over losing her business partner. I mean, could you imagine, right? He advises her right away, get out, make peace with whatever material they have on you, and just leave. He says to her, this is fucking trafficking. Mm-hmm. Sarah then confides that she hasn't even told Anthony, her husband, and Mark tells her, you need to. We then hear the producer of the documentary asking Anthony, what did you think when you first saw the branding? And Anthony says, quote, I wanted to break shit. I was appalled. How the fuck could this happen? I'm taking my wife and my kid and getting the fuck out of here. And you guys might be in criminal trouble. I'm really kind of glad that they all immediately were kind of like, holy fuck. Like this was like kind of what snapped them out of all their like fucking mental brainwashing with with this goddamn company. I'm so glad that especially Mark Vicente, because he was a higher up in Nexium too, that he immediately was like, fuck no, yeah, like this is this not what we not do. okay. Yep. And same with her husband, too. He's like, we're getting the fuck out of here. We are not dealing with this and we're getting out of this. Could you imagine if your partner comes home with somebody else's initials oh, burned no. onto their body? No. And I'm sure poor Sarah was probably so embarrassed by it, oh, too. God, like, yeah. After she finally realized what it was, like she had that initial like she made it through. She she did. She conquered a fear. Right. But then she actually realized what it was. And it's just. It's terrible. It's awful. On-screen text says that Sarah and Anthony officially left Nexium in June of 2017. Sarah says that she needed to finally understand and wake up to what was really going on within this so-called company. When she was able to do that, that's when she was finally able to leave. Keith really thought that this whole collateral thing would really make people stop talking about it, but it didn't. Nope, it didn't. We pan back to the Elizabeth Vargas interview and Elizabeth says, do you feel like you are on a mission to undo something? And Sarah tearfully responds with, yes, I have to undo it as best as I can. I can't just walk away. Elizabeth then asks, the night of the branding, where did that happen? Sarah says the actual branding itself happened at Allison Mack's house. Elizabeth then says there has been a lot said about the fact that the brand shows Keith Ranieri's initials KR. They also show Allison Mack's initials AM. Yeah. And Sarah replies with it appears to be that way. And they show us another photo of the brand and you can see an AM when you look at it from one direction. Yep. And then when you flip it the other way, you see KR. It is so bizarre. Well, and think about it this way, too, you guys. They put this branding in a special direction, right? Or a position to where it's not immediately noticeable to be a KR or an AM. It is a little weird. Yeah. It's, It's almost like you write a letter K. And then flip it sideways, 90 degrees to the right. Yes. So you're not immediately looking at letters that you think. Right. Right. Your brain doesn't immediately see letters. Sarah tells us that she actually saw the AM 
before the KR. When she had left Nexium, she thought that the branding was the worst type of abuse that was happening, but she feels that the branding doesn't even compare to some of the other emotional abuses that have been going on for years. Yeah. She had heard about Keith using sex as a form of control over people. Honestly, that does not shock me with him. No, at all. What does shock me? He's not even cute. No, but uh, you guys, he's kissing people when he first meets them. Come on. Come I mean, on. It's going to evolve. Maybe if he like slipped me a tongue. Maybe then. <laughs> but, like, come on. Ick. He's gross. I <laughs> know. Yeah, totally it's gross. gross. Mark Vicente mentions that he only had knowledge of a few women that Keith had slept with. And he had no idea that it was a lot, meaning dozens, 20, 30 women that were in Nexium. Sarah heard that some women were signing lifelong vows to only have sex with Keith. Ew. What is going on here? What do these women think is happening here? A transfer of I don't get it. enlightenment every time he comes? I don't know. I, I don't know. Mark says that he doesn't have a problem with someone wanting to have a swinger lifestyle, but don't convince a girl to have sex with you for her own personal growth as if he was so powerful he would be able to help her with it. Like, help her... Ugh. Ick. With his... Ick. With his man seed? Ick. Ick. Help his magic his, beans? I, I, I can't. I can't <laughs> even say it, you guys. It's so... I hate this motherfucker. I hate him. We see a clip from the Times Union newspaper that says, Women who have had sex with Keith Raniere say it was billed as a spiritual experience, a transfer of his godlike energy. That's some powerful sperm, man. Ick. Never ick. No. Gross. No. No, thanks. I'll pass. Hard pass. So you'd spits in this one. There'd be no swallowing. (laughs) I wouldn't even get to the spits part. (laughs) Gross. Sarah goes on to say that leaders of philosophical movements shouldn't be sleeping with high-ranking women and students that are part of this movement. Hmm, shouldn't I mean, the first thing that would be like that a bit of like a, you know, conflict of interest. Um, not only that, but wouldn't that be a red flag? Maybe hmm, just that a there's bit. an ulterior motive here behind this whole fucking thing. Yeah. She says that, you know, these women were there to learn, but he's telling them that it's part of their growth. It should be on their fucking website then. Right. It should be. Yeah. He's gotten away with it for so long because no one ever talks about it. Mm -hmm. Again, they're collateralizing all of this information. Well, and I think he made these people fucking believe it. Like they actually believed that he was some godlike form that they just dealt with it, you know, because they're like, well, I'm bettering myself. Like they actually fucking believed in what he was doing at the time. I mean, it's crazy to even say that how do you believe any nonsense that's coming out of this guy's mouth do you know the only way that this would have actually worked is if he was a well-known porn star and each of these girls (laughs) wanted to be in the porn industry he could potentially help their growth sure sure but this is not what this is no not at all not even close he wishes not even close Sarah explains why she did an interview with the New York Times that basically she wanted to become a whistleblower for one, to educate the world on what was happening, but also 
to help people on the inside see what was really going on. And help them to get out, hopefully. Exactly. And I feel like I saw this article in the newspaper when it was, I do, because I remember that picture of her so well. Yes, me too. It was just a picture of her kind of, you know, against a blank wall, lifting up her tank top and pulling her jeans down a little bit so that you could see her branded mark on her pelvic bone. horrible, you guys. And I'm sure all of you are aware of this story, but if you're not, please just Google the image of this fucking brand. It's horrible. It is so horrible. Yeah. She believes that Nexium is Keith's sick, perverted fantasy to get people to do what he wants and to bend to his will. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of people on the inside didn't even believe her. And of course, Keith denied everything once the story broke. Well, yeah, he's a coward, so that would make sense. He is quoted saying, there is no merit to the allegations that we are abusing, coercing, or harming individuals. The sorority DOS is not part of Nexium, and I am not associated with the group. I've got to say, that was the most coherent thing we have heard out of his <laughs> mouth thus far. He probably had someone else write it. He did. <laughs> he didn't think of that himself. No, because that made sense. <laughs> Sarah's husband, Anthony, doesn't believe it. He says there is no way that he didn't know what was going on. And Sarah thinks that DOS was a culmination of all of the madness that Keith had Mm -hmm. that started decades ago and just kind of came to fruition. Elizabeth asks Sarah again about the night of the branding. She says, you know, Keith Ranieri, of course, denied his involvement with DOS. But the night of the branding, each of you took turns holding an iPhone, Lauren's iPhone to be specific, to videotape the branding. Sarah's like, yep. And Elizabeth says, and during the time you held the phone, Keith actually texted Lauren. Sarah confirms that's when the initial seed was planted in her mind. This is not what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. Because as she's holding the phone, recording another woman being seared in front of her, she sees a text come through from K.A.R., which is Keith Allen Ranieri, Mm -hmm. saying, How are they all doing with each other? Strange. Being that it was on Lauren's iPhone, though, there was no way to have it duplicated. And it wasn't something that she could prove when she actually came out about this story. Mm -hmm. So now everyone's questioning whether or not she actually saw what she saw. Right. How can they actually affirm that it was Keith? Right. Because it was only the initials she saw. She didn't actually see his name. So... I get that a little bit, but come on. Yeah, I mean, for her, it was a no-brainer, right? She didn't even have to think about it. She knew it was him. Right. Our expert on cults, Yanya, says that this became a crisis time for the movement, and a lot of people might have been leaving. But those who would stay would become even more fervent in their beliefs around Nexium. She says that that's called cognitive dissonance, When reality doesn't meet your belief system, she says that nine times out of 10, most people will maintain their thinking of their belief system rather than change their reality because it's, quote unquote, safer. You know, it's so much easier to just hunker down and stay with what you know. Because it's comfortability. Absolutely. Human beings are built that way to stay with the more comfortable feeling or thing that they're doing, even if it's not the right thing, even if they know in their mind that they should change. 
it's uncomfortable to change. Well, especially when everyone around you is also on the same mindset. Exactly. Break the mold, people. There we go. Sarah said that she spent many years promoting and recruiting for Nexium, telling everyone how wonderful it was. She regrets putting her life force behind a sociopathic, narcissistic nut job. I can't <laughs> believe it. I love that she said nut job. That's exactly what he is. Oh, he's he a totally psychopath. Is. He's yeah. crazy. Yeah. She feels that she sent people into the lion's den. She had roughly recruited around 2,000 people. Yeah. The more stories she hears, the more she regrets it. And she feels she needs to make amends to all the people she had brought into Nexium. And some of the people don't forgive her. Right. I mean, they actually do feel like she was the reason for them being the way they are today, you yeah. know, with PTSD or whatever it is that they got from being in this group. They blame her completely, which I get in a way. Well, some of them were friends of hers from long before sure. Nexium. Yeah. So I could see that. Yeah. It would be hard. It yeah. would be hard. Yeah. But again, Sarah wasn't aware that this is what was actually happening, you know, and she got something terrible done to her, too, you know, right. and that made her realize, holy shit. Yeah. Th- this isn't right. This is not this is not OK. The entire 12 years Sarah was a part of Nexium, the outside world told her that she was in a cult. And everyone inside would actually joke about it with each other, saying that they were a happy, successful, and joyful cult. Yeah. Oh, God. Don't speak like that. <laughs> don't, don't talk about cults being successful, happy, and joyful, please. Absolutely not. No. They want you to think that. Oh, yeah. That is exactly their main focus is to make you think that and assume that that's what's actually happening. We meet Jennifer Colbelt, who is also a former Nexium member. And she had been originally enrolled in Nexium when she came across their website and saw Sarah's face. She knew who she was immediately. She didn't really have the money to join, but she knew that she needed to do this since Sarah was a part of it because yeah. it could possibly change her life. We get some on screen text that says that Jen joined Nexium in 2013 and paid $2,900 for her first set of courses. Sarah tells us that Jen was one of her students. She ended up loving the program and wanted to become a coach. Sarah felt really guilty about Jen because she found out after she left that she had been a part of the fright experiment. So we learn a little bit more about what this fright experiment was from Jen herself. While Jen was living in Albany, a friend within Nexium came to her and started telling her about this study that they were conducting that needed 100 participants asking her if she would be a part of it. Of course, she said, yes, no problem. Sure. She was unaware that it was an experiment. And you could tell on camera that this was this was really hard for her to talk about. I well, mean, that's a big difference between a study and right. an experiment. An experiment is a really scary word, especially when it's on a human being. Like uh-huh. you do experiments on lab rats. Uh-huh. OK, you don't do it on human beings. OK, no. now when it was time for this experiment, She trusted this person administering this experiment as a doctor and a friend. Well, there was a brainwave machine along with a TV setup when she got there. She had the brainwave cap put on along with the finger monitor and a few other monitors. Sure. This person told her that they were going to play a few clips on the TV and she will debrief her experience between clips. Sure. She was unaware what clips 
she would be seeing. And then the video of the Mexican cartel cutting off the women's heads was on the screen for her to view. So horrific. The video went on to these men just cutting up these women into little pieces. So it wasn't just the decapitation. They went full on and were chopping up these human bodies, you guys. The doctor asked her how the experience was. Um, I'm sorry. Traumatic? A fucking nightmare? Like, what else do you want me to say? She just sat there. It was hard to think that at one moment they were humans and the next moment they were bodies. It's really hard to think of humans like that anyway. I think about that when I just think about death in general. Right, right. Where it's like a second ago, like when you think about somebody that you know, mm-hmm. right? We're like one minute they were here and the next minute their body is just yeah. there. Like when that soul leaves the human body, like it's that disconnection, right? That's There's when you such change. An emptiness. Yep. You yeah. change from that human being to just a human body, right. you know? And it's yeah, it's it's a weird thing to think about. Super weird. And Jen still thinks she has PTSD from this. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. That might be something she's going to struggle with for the rest of her life. I don't know how you get past something like this, especially when you didn't know it was coming. You had no time to prep your mind for this. Well, and that's the worst part. Right. I mean, it would be one thing if they're like, we want to show these traumatic videos and right. see how somebody would react to them. Kind of at least knowing that that's what you're getting into. Give her an indication of what she's about to see. A bit. She has nothing. She has nothing to go off of here. Right. Now, at the time, Jen had devoted most of her income to Nexium. So when she had actually left the cult, she had nothing. That is so sad. God, that is sad. Sarah apologizes immensely to Jennifer for all the trauma she had to endure from the higher ups in Nexium, but also for her own role. She really felt so sorry for even bringing her in to this so-called self-improvement company. Sarah really regrets having made people spend their hard-earned money on a program that ultimately destroyed their life. And I don't think she could have put it a better way. Right. I mean, it's, it's sad, especially in Jen's case. She literally left with nothing. She said that she barely made enough to even afford it in the first place. Oh, yeah. She was charging it on credit cards, too, right. in some of the courses. Oh, my God. God, that's just horrible. Yanya tells us that a cult's goal or the leader's goal of the cult is to enforce conformity and compliance. By seeing such horrendous, violent, traumatic videos, they're able to monitor the person's reaction and hopefully in the same moment, desensitizing that person for future abuse that is to come. She explains that it's used to measure a person's ability to move to the next level or whether they won't be able to, and that it's just sick. She says that it's also a horrendous ethical violation because there are rules and regulations for scientific or medical experiments, and that was all completely violated in this situation. For sure. To blindly put somebody into that is absolute cruelty. It is abuse. It is abuse. It is at the core. Traumatic abuse. On-screen text says March 26 of 2018, Keith Ranieri was arrested in Mexico and extradited to the United States. News of his capture was broadcast nationwide. Elizabeth asked Sarah, when you first learned about the massive indictment, do you feel vindicated, triumph, shock? Because these are some serious charges. Mm-hmm. And Sarah's like, all of those, but also that justice is working Finally, after so many years, 
She says that she also does feel a little safer that he's behind bars, but she'll always be watching her back for fear of that, you know, concept of the flying monkeys that narcissists tend to have people that do their bidding for them. There was a lot of people in this cult. Well, and Sarah has even seen some of those people follow any order that Keith gives them. And that's frightening. I cannot imagine that type of terror that you live with every day. Every time you're out and about, or what if someone's spying on your house? Like, how do you know that? You're basically just being stalked all the time. Oh, hell no. Right? No way. To be, like, constantly hunted. Oh, my God. That is so terrifying. Elizabeth points to the affidavit when all of these charges come out. And she says that part of it reads, quote, Some of the masters gave their slaves assignments that either directly or implicitly required them to have sex with Ranieri, which they then did. Other assignments seemed to groom slaves sexually for Ranieri, end quote. Another excerpt from the affidavit says, Ranieri acknowledged to one DOS victim that his initials are incorporated into the brand as a form of tribute, to which Sarah says, that's not what it means to me anymore, but that is exactly what it was intended for. Absolutely. Elizabeth then asked Sarah if anything had surprised her in the affidavit. Sarah had read things in there that she had never heard before. And one example of this was, quote, Ranieri led Jane Doe One, still blindfolded, into what she believed was a shack and tied her to a table. Another person began performing oral sex on her as Ranieri circled the table making comments, end quote. Ew. So gross. Elizabeth asks Sarah, what would you say to Keith if you had the chance to say anything to him now? Sarah responds with, I would say that he messed with the wrong person and that he, for such a brilliant man, made a big mistake. I think I would say a little bit more to him than that bullshit. Come on. (laughs) I know, right? Tell him how much he sucks dick. Like, come on. Or should be. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Or hopes that he will be in prison. (laughs) Oh, he is. You can't control men like you can control women, apparently. Oh, right, right. (laughs) The one thing she did say, though, is that she still feels a bit of sadness thinking that Keith is going to have a rough time in prison because he's still human. No. Fuck off. No. No. He is the absolute worst. Who gives a shit about his life? I don't know. He sucks. No. Yanya replies to Sarah's response and says that this is that cult mentality creeping back in. You start doubting yourself a bit, right, about the way that you're actually feeling because they've trained you in such a way that... You're kind of confused a little bit by what is the truth. Well, and when How you should think I be about feeling? it, when you break up with somebody, there is a part of you that hates that person. Right. But there is a part of you that also feels for that person. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. there was something there before. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel goes on to say that you're free, but you're not free. You're happy, but you're devastated. Yeah. It's like a roller coaster of emotions that you can't quite understand. Sarah goes on to say that the indictment was so validating for her because of what she had gone through the year after leaving Nexium. It was hell, but it was the most principled thing she had ever done to stand up against him. She even heard through people within Nexium, especially after reading the affidavit, that they are starting to ask questions that the higher ranks can't answer. The web of lies are starting to fall apart. 
on-screen text tells us that on April 13th, 2018, Keith Raniere was charged with sex trafficking, sex trafficking conspiracy, and conspiracy to commit forced labor. One week later, news broke of Allison Mack's arrest. Thank God. Right? We see a bunch of like news clips flashing across the screen. I'll be honest, I didn't write down anything that they were saying. So you guys are all just going to have to go out there and mm-hmm. watch it if you want to. But a lot of them reporting that each of these two people could face 15 years to life in prison for the sex trafficking charges alone. Sarah says that the more she tries to unravel what happened and figure herself out and her life over the last 12 years, the more she wants to shout from the rooftops how important it is to speak out about this type of abuse and this type of group and how anyone could fall victim to something like this. I did write, except us. (laughs) Not us. Not us. Because we're not the smiley, happy people. And we're poor. And we're poor. (laughs) Right. So that can happen. It's not a thing. But she believes Keith's arrest is the beginning of the end for Nexium. She says that she had always wanted to have this impact on the world, but she never thought that this is how she would do it. The last bit of on-screen text that we get says on April 24th of 2018, Allison Mack was released on a $5 million bond. Keith Ranieri is currently incarcerated at the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn, New York, awaiting trial. Now, mind you, this was filmed several years ago. It was. So I did a Google dive and I found some updates. According to the New York Times, as recent as October 27 of 2020, Keith Ranieri, now 60 years old, was sentenced to 120 years in prison, also ordered to pay $1.75 million in fines. He was also found guilty of racketeering and child pornography. I dove into an article, probably longer than I should have on my work computer, (laughs) that talked about how he had actually been with several girls under the age of 18, some of them as young as 15. Oh, God. How most of the women that were really close to him would be starved to be as thin as they could possibly be talking about that type that he had. And a lot of them were so malnourished that they would lose their periods. Oh, my God. Yeah. Now, ahead of Ranieri's trial, Allison Mack and a couple of other higher up ranking women pled guilty. But as of April 2021, Allison still has not been sentenced for her role Mm -hmm. in Nexium. She has been on house arrest for the last three years at a home that she owns in California, but it's rumored that she could be facing a maximum of 40 years in prison with 20 years per count of sex trafficking and racketeering. Wow. The neighbors of the townhouse that she lived in when the branding occurred really want this to happen. They want her to be sentenced. They're sick to death of her just walking free. Yeah. I mean, in a way, she's on house arrest, but still. Why is she not being sentenced? I'm sure it had something to do with COVID. I th- I'm sure it got that pushed was a back. Part of it. You know, like everything got pushed back. You know, only really, really important like murder type of things were pushed to the top, right? Because you can't really be in person. And I get it. But still, that's been a long time. You can sentence somebody from afar. Yeah. And thankfully, Nexium is no more. I mean, it's completely ended. So that's good. Right. Also, another little tidbit that I found out. Remember that high IQ 
that that he Ooh, supposedly has. What'd you find out? Well, apparently he graduated with a 2.26 GPA from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York. He ain't no damn genius. Especially no 240 IQ. Come on. Okay. If you're going to pretend to be a genius, do not pretend to be the smartest person in the goddamn world unless you can prove it. Well, and if you're going to be a fucking, you know, pretend to be a genius or or if that's who you are, cure cancer or something. Seriously. Don't fucking tell people that they can be higher versions of themselves by like being happy and this is sucking dick. This is as best as he could get because he he was a dumbass. (laughs) I mean, we all heard him speak. (laughs) Yes. It was awful. Well, Amy, this shit was crazy. Bananas. I really liked it, though. It was such a change of pace. Yeah. From our normal murder documentaries and all this kind of stuff. So. Right. But it's still so intriguing to me that people can get sucked into this type of stuff. And it really makes me look at some of these MLM companies a little bit differently. A little bit. Now, not saying that they're all cults. Oh, God, no. God, no. No. But I feel like some of them could be or might be. Now, let us know what you all thought of today's episode. If you enjoyed it, we would love to do more of this series because it has quite a few good ones. Yeah, like what? Including Jehovah's Witnesses, Children of God, and the FLDS. Next week, we'll be covering the Netflix documentary Fire Festival. Ah, I am so excited. I know that one one blew my mind because I had (laughs) never fucking heard of it. Fucking goddamn Ja Rule getting himself into some shady shit. Ugh. And I used to like him. <laughs> Me too. I loved his voice. His I singing know, voice was yes. like the shit. I yep. loved it. If you would be so kind, we would love for you to rate and review our show on whichever podcast platform you're listening on. It really means a lot to us and only takes a few minutes. If you want to join in on the fun in our social media world, you can find us on Instagram at sheer underscore crime underscore podcast. Twitter at Share Crime Pod and our Facebook group, Share Crime Podcast Discussion Group. If you have episode questions or just want to say hello, please shoot us an email at requests at sharecrimepodcast.com. We are so appreciative of your support and love you all so much. Stay safe, stay sane, and remember never run with scissors. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.